written by George Friedrich Handel from his chorus, The Messiah, actually called Messiah. Handel was born in 1685 in Germany. And, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that song, and we're going to talk about this passage, which can be found in the inside of your bulletin. Uh, this is Hebrews 13, 15 to 25, and it is the last uh, section of Hebrews. This will be our last talk on Hebrews. Uh, next week, we will be uh, going into a new series called Kingdom Life in a Fallen World, and we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount and going through it uh, section by section. So that's going to be talking about how to live the kingdom life in a fallen world. Listen to Hebrews 13, 15 through 25. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. The word of the Lord. George Friedrich Handel was born in 1685 in Germany. He, from an early age, had tremendous musical talent and decided that he wanted to be a composer. And he achieved great fame from writing Italian operas. And when he realized that the tastes of, the, uh, of Europe were changing, he moved to England where he started writing librettos in English. And he amassed great fortune and great wealth and great prominence. But like all composers and different people that come into vogue and out of vogue, the mid-50s of Friedrich Handel's life, he discovered uh, that he was out of work, nobody would hire him. He had lost his friends. Indeed, he even lost his health. He had a partial stroke and so he was paralyzed. And he was wondering what, would, what was next for him. And he received a letter from his friend William Jennings, who was a friend that uh, brought him a potential opera. It was an extended reflection on Christ as Messiah, using only scripture. And it followed the life of Christ from the prophecies in Isaiah to the incarnation, to the passion, to the resurrection, to the glorification of Christ. Handel read this text and he realized that this would be his magnum opus, the work that he was to create. And so he locked himself in his room. And for 24 straight days, he labored vigorously on this piece called Messiah. One day, his assistant walked in to find him as he was writing the Hallelujah Chorus, weeping on the ground. And Handel said to him, I did think I saw heaven open and saw the very face of God. When Handel was finished, he wrote the words on the back of the manuscript, Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God. The work opened in Dublin uh, to some acclaim, 
and a year later in London to not much acclaim at all. And in fact, it would have faded into obscurity, but King George, thinking the piece might be worthy, came to see it. And as he heard and saw the life of the Messiah played out in music, when it came to the Hallelujah Chorus, King George, impromptu, stood up to acknowledge Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And of course, when the king stands, everyone else stands as well. And so the entire opera house stood for the Alleluia Chorus, a tradition that started 250 years ago and continues today. See, Handel had a song to sing, a song in his heart, a song of praise to God. And even though Handel is gone, his song continues to reverberate, even in churches like this today. You know, as I reflected on Handel's life and I thought about myself and us, we have a song to sing as well, don't we? You know, you only go around once in this life. And so I want to take a question, take a little time to ask the question, what is the song that you have to sing? What is the message that you will bring to the world and how will it impact it? The scripture tells us one thing that's critical, that's been going throughout the entire text of Hebrews, that we are meant to be instruments of praise. Through Jesus Christ, we can now sing acceptable praise that is pleasing to God. And so we must sing it with our lips and with our life. And so for the next 40, no, maybe 30 minutes, we're going to talk about three things. Number one, that we are meant to be instruments of praise. There is a song that God has for our lips. But number two, God gives us a venue for praise. The song of our life. So not only of our lips, but also of our life. And finally, God gives us power for praise. The song of Jesus that he has put in our hearts. Because we were made to be instruments of praise. Through Jesus, God is pleased with our songs. And we must sing it with our lips and with our life. Well, let's look at these points. Number one, an instrument of praise. The song of our lips. Verse 15 tells us, through him then... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. The main question that we've been looking at in the book of Hebrews is where do we worship and how do we offer acceptable worship? You need to remember that this church, these people who are mostly Hebrews, Jews who have become Christians, had left their former life. Their former life of obeying the Mosaic Law with all of its prescriptions for worship. They've left their life of seeing the temple as central, the place where they would go to meet with God, where He would be. And as a result, they were worshiping now uh, a God that had no temple, that had no building, that almost had no prescriptions. Now, this was a bizarre concept because in the ancient world, the temple was everything. Everybody had a God. And every god had a temple. There was the temple of Zeus, the temple of Hermes, the temple of Aphrodite. You name it, there were pagan temples. The temple was the intersection where God, where heaven and earth met. If you wanted to get to God, if you wanted to see heaven, you had to go to the temple. But now there was this crazy religion called Christianity. And I can only imagine the, an imaginary conversation between a temple worshiper and a Christian. As the temple worshiper would come to the Christian and say, where is your temple? They say, we don't have a temple. Well, where are the priests that you employ? 
but we don't employ any priests. Well, what, what is the sacrifice that you bring? Well, you see, we don't bring any sacrifice. And that temple worshiper must be scratching his head going, no, no temple, no priests, no sacrifices. Well, that's not any religion at all. And the Christian would be saying that's exactly right. Because we don't worship a religion. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a person. Furthermore, Christianity is not about what we have to do. It's rather about what he has done. And so the scriptures say to go not only to him, but through him. Through him, therefore, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. This concept of through him is a direct allusion to the curtain. Remember the curtain that stood in the Holy of Holies? That big curtain that the high priest would enter through once a year to offer sacrifice, to meet with God. Now it's no longer going through the curtain, rather, it's through Him. Hebrews 10, 19 put it this way, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. So how do we enter according to this passage? The first thing we must notice is that there's no preparation for entrance. If I was to take you back to the Mosaic mode of entrance, we would look in the book of Leviticus and there would be prescription after prescription. In fact, in all religions, there was a necessity of preparing oneself to go into the temple. There was washing that needed to occur. There were sacrifices, oblations, preparations. And yet we see there is no preparation that occurs as we go through Him. Next, we ask the question, where is the sacrifice? There is no sacrifice that we must bring as we come to worship because Christ is the acceptable sacrifice. And so we are called to enter into this temple, the temple of Christ's body, with one thing, with praise. To acknowledge the sacrifice that has been given. See, we acknowledge not what we've done, but rather what He's done. What is this praise that we are supposed to bring? It's not very specific, frankly. We don't get really what the liturgy is. We don't get the specific words that we are to offer. Rather, we are to, supposed to bring a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips who confess His name. See, we're supposed to bring confession to His work, what Jesus has done on the cross who Jesus is, how Jesus is raised and seated at the right hand of the Father. We're supposed to confess His work, but we're also supposed to confess His name. The fruit of lips that confess His name. See, the name that you call someone is the word that you prescribe to them. Now in this world, you know, the name Carlos doesn't mean anything. It's just a, a you know, a concept, a place marker. But back then, the name of a person was the description that you gave for them. And so when we confess his name as Lord, we confess him as the king of our lives. This is the praise that we are supposed to bring. The next question we must ask is, uh, where should we praise? How much should we praise? We should praise continually. Notice that word, therefore let us continually offer to God. Normally when you would go to a temple, you would go at a set time. You'd offer your sacrifice, you'd be done, and you'd go on to your life. 
But God has expanded the requirement for worship for us to continually, day after day, minute by minute, hour by hour, with our lips confess His name. Now, of course, our hearts, we're devoted to all sorts of different things. We're working, or how can we confess His name 24 hours a day? Remember, it's saying the fruit of lips that confess His name. We all know about fruit, don't we? The fruit is the expression of the tree. If you look at the fruit, you'll know what the tree is, won't you? Oh, well, that's an apple tree. It has apples. See, what he's saying is that if your heart, in your heart, you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and with your lips you utter Him, then you will be saved. Because it's the inner heart that God is concerned about, not the hollow worship of one's lips. Why do you think that God loves praise so much? Why is this the one requirement that He asks? Because God wants us to acknowledge the work of His Son. You know, one of the things I love more than anything is when people start bragging on my kids. When people start bragging on and complimenting my kids, I've never done this. Stop. I've had enough. Please, no more praise for my children. Now, God loves it when we acknowledge the work of His Son. Sacrifice. Look, you see, when we bring sacrifice, not of praise, when we bring our own sacrifices, look, it's all about look at what I've done. But when we bring a sacrifice of praise, it's all about look at what He's done. Look at what He's brought. Some of you may have heard the name of Alfred Nobel. He was born in 21 October 1833 in Stockholm, Sweden, into a family of engineers. He was a chemist and an engineer and an inventor. And Alfred Nobel was fascinated with explosives. He invented ballastite, which was the precursor to a lot of military explosives like uh, cordite and other things. He experimented with nitroglycerin. In fact, he had over 355 inventions, including uh, his piece de resistance dynamite, which Nobel invented. He bought an ironworks and he turned it into a major armaments factory. Nobel amassed a fortune during his lifetime. But in 1888, when Alfred's brother Ludwig was in France and died, a French newspaper erroneously published an obituary of Arthur Alfred instead of Ludwig, and it condemned him for his invention of dynamite. The obituary said, Le marchand du l'amour est mort. The merchant of death is dead. And went on to say, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever, died yesterday. This obituary led Nobel to consider his life and the path that he had taken. He didn't want to be remembered as the merchant of death, and so he decided to try to change his path, to change his song, if you will. And he decided to devote his vast fortune that he amassed with armaments to the betterment of mankind, not to its destruction. To widespread astonishment, Nobel's, Nobel's last will specified that his fortune be used to create a series of prizes for those who confer the greatest benefit on mankind in physics, chemistry, medicine, and peace. Now to this day, every year prizes are awarded. In fact, they're the most prestigious awards in all specific fields. No one remembers Alfred Nobel as the merchant of death. Rather, they remember his Nobel Prize. See, Nobel changed his song. 
And so the question I have for you is what is your song? What is your life proclaiming? If someone was to erroneously publish an obituary of your life, what would it say? See, the truth of the matter is our life is designed to point to another, to something other than ourselves. We all make confession, but we are designed to be instruments of praise. And though at one time we praised gods who were not gods at all, or we praised ourselves, God reformed us. He reshaped us through Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so God has given us the ability to give praise which is acceptable to God. God can hear our praise and even more so be pleased with it. So you and I must make the decision that he is to be my confession. It's made first in our heart when we put Christ on the throne. And then it moves from our heart to our lips. So we must praise him. Praise Him in song on Sunday when we come together. But you notice it doesn't specifically say to praise just in song. We must praise Him when we confess His name to our friends. When we confess His name to our family. When we confess His name when it's just us. When we're driving to work. When we're doing the laundry. When we're working out. Let there be a confession, a sacrifice of praise that we bring to God continually moment by moment, day by day. God has given us a song of praise, but he's also given us, this is my second point, a venue for praise. The song not only of our lips, but also of our lives. Look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. See, our praise is not only designed for God's ears, but it's designed for others to hear as well. And the truth of the matter is people hear best in seeing your actions before they see your words. Notice this prescription, do not neglect to do good. Well, what exactly does that mean? It's not very specific, is it? Do good. Some of you may remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to uh, Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turned to him and he said, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God alone. You know the commandments. See, what Jesus was saying is that there's only one who is good and that is God. God is the one who is good and thus the giver of good, the determiner of good. And so God has given us a good thing, the commands of God, so that we may know how to do good. All the New Testament really is, when you think about it, is instructions about how to live in light of the gospel. Good theology is scripture applied to life. And so we must do good in all spheres of our life, where we work, where we go to get gas, where we buy our groceries, where we work out. It's not just religious work, it's our very life. And our voice is what is magnified with our life. So we must do good, but we must also share with others. Remember the context here, this church, this church of the Hebrews is under intense persecution. People are hurting, they've lost jobs, they've lost friends, they've lost opportunities. 
And the writer is saying, do not neglect to share with one another. He's saying that we must care for one another. We must lift each other up. Earlier in this chapter, it says, let brotherly love continue, not neglecting to show hospitality, remembering those in prison. See, Jesus wants us to love those who love him. And that means reaching out to one another and sharing. For God, it says, is pleased with such sacrifices. Why is God pleased? Because these sacrifices, when we share with one another, we are like God. 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In fact, we cannot know love without looking at Jesus. For 1 John continues saying, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. And so God is pleased with these sacrifices because they are godlike. But also it shows that our place of our trust has shifted from dependence on things to dependence on God. When we are commanded to share with one another, to do good, we must loosen our grip upon the things that we hold so dearly. Our desire to be loved. Our desire to hold on to our positions, our money, our time, and our resources. In fact, earlier in this chapter, we are told to keep your life free from the love of money and to be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When we open our hands and we open our lives to people and we bring a sacrifice of praise in how we live, it's a fragrant offering to God. You know, I enjoyed listening to Handel's Messiah. You know, this talk got me the opportunity and you hear this beautiful chorus and this orchestra as well. And I think about this chorus of praise as a picture of an orchestra. An orchestra has about, a, a big one has about 80 to 100 different musicians. It's called a philharmonic. When you think about that word, philharmonic, love of harmony. See, why an orchestra works is because there's so many sounds, so many disparate instruments, instruments that are being pulled together to create this beautiful uh, sound. And if you look at an orchestra, there are all sorts of different instruments, all different shapes and sizes in their own sections. The woodwinds and the string and the brass and the percussion. You know, as I'm reading on, on an orchestra, there's all sorts of different instruments as well that I didn't even know about, such as the flugelhorn, the hecklephone, I like that one, the cornet, the euphonium, the vibraphone, the marimba, small instruments, big ones, each contributing their part in this symphony. I'd like to think that the church is a picture of God's orchestra. We are all the different players. Each of us is our own instrument. And we come together on Sunday to practice, but we go out into the world to play. And we have our own special tune to play and our own special venue. See, our job is to take our praise and bring it into our lives, to let it manifest where we live and where we work. So take, for example, if you're a military person, every day you go to the base, you wear your clothes, you're at your specific post, doing your job, interacting with the people around you. 
That is the place for you to sing the praise of God in your life in such a way that people will want to know what is the reason for the hope that is within you. No place is too mundane. In fact, the very notes of God, God has given to you to apply to your specific score of music. And so that is what we must do when we do good. And we must do it when we share and care for others in the specific way that God has designed for us with the specific means that God has given to us. We were made to be instruments of praise. And through Jesus, God is pleased with your song. So sing it with your lips and sing it with your life. Well, God has given us a venue for praise, but finally, He's also given us the power for praise, the song of Jesus that He's given to us. See, we have to ask the question, where does the strength come from to praise God? The beauty of the gospel is God is not only the goal of praise, but He is also the strength for our praise as well. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in you that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice two things. The first is that He equips us. He's the one that issues the instrument. My son recently, uh, uh, he's in sixth grade at Kemp's Landing, and they have a top-of-the-line band orchestra there. And, and this uh, conductor is so good that he has the ability to look at the person, to listen to them, and to determine what is the best instrument for them. And so he listened to my son Will and determined, and he gave him a trumpet. He issued to him an instrument, and he was exactly right. My son is good at the trumpet. God has issued you an instrument. It's who you are. Don't look down upon yourself because you cannot do this or this, or I've been given this position in the orchestra. You're exactly the person that God has designed you to be. You're equipped to praise Him. And you're serviceable. And the great thing is that God is teaching us to play the notes. Because He works in us that which is pleasing in His sight. See, He gives us the instrument. He gives us the notes of His Word. And He gives us the breath to play them. So when I have faith and strength to confess Jesus with my lips, when I can do good and share my life with others, I cannot boast in myself. For it is God who is at work in me. So as the Scriptures say, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When you and I have the grace to live for others, to good, do good and to share, it is just that. It's grace. That's why Paul said, I worked hard, harder than the others. Nevertheless, it was not I, but the grace of God, which is within me. And since we know that God rejoices in all his works, and he puts the hymn of praise in our mouth, we know that God rejoices in the work of grace and, and the faith that he gives us and the zeal that He gives us to live for others. How do we move forward in the sacrifice of praise? We move forward in faith. Recently, my other son, uh, uh, Mark, is a guitar player. He's been working on shaping and playing his guitar. And he, and, and he uses my old guitar. I have an ovation 
uh, acoustic guitar that I've had for years and years and years. So he wanted to go ahead and plug it in and play out of the amp because it has a pickup. He plugged it in, but the problem was no sound was coming out of the amplifier. Wondering what's wrong with my guitar. So I took it into Mo's music, Chuck uh, Moebus, Mobus, I don't know his last name. He's my next door neighbor, is the guy for Mo's music. And Chuck is the expert, okay? And he goes, you know, strings are off, he gets in there, and he takes it and says, Oh, here's the problem, your amplifier's bad. And so Chuck took out that amplifier and he put in a new one. And he hooked everything up and he plugged it in the amplifier and he strummed, and there it was. Amplified. An amplification. See, the beauty is that God has put a new song in your and my mouth. God said, I will take a heart of stone away from you, and I will give you a heart of flesh. If you have trusted in Christ, Christ is in you. You have a new amplifier. He has equipped us with the power. He has equipped us with the desire. Indeed, He's equipped us with the very life of God within us. Maybe you have felt in past circumstances that you have no power for praise. You don't, but He does. And He is within you. So play the note and look to the Lord to amplify it. When you want to share your life and the things you have with one another, but you just can't find the strength to do it, remember that you can't. But He can. And He is within you. So play the note and trust Him for the strength to play. And when you feel finally that your song doesn't matter much, you're just a flugelhorn or a marimba, remember that you're part of the symphony. One day, we will be in heaven and we will hear the sound that all of us have played together. And you'll be able to hear your sound and his sound. But most of all, you'll be able to hear the sound of the song of the Lamb. Because in the end, it's not our sound at all. It's the hymn of praise that he's put in us. You and I were made to be instruments of praise. Through Jesus Christ, God is pleased with your song. So go out and sing it with your lips and sing it with your life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that when we were broken, twisted instruments that had no music to play, you came into the dark pit and you pulled us out. You set our feet upon the rock of Christ and you put a new song of praise in our mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Lord, I pray that this church, I pray that these people, I pray that myself would reverberate with praise as we sing and confess your name as Lord throughout the week and in the way that we live toward others. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.